Hi, this is Timothy Renner, author of Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. You're listening to Inside the Goblin Universe. Hello again, folks, and welcome to another edition of Inside the Goblin Universe on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. My name is Ronald Murphy. I'm Brian Bowden. And we're your, we're your hosts on the yes. show today, and, and I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot of good stuff, a lot of exciting stuff happening in the world of the paranormal, isn't there, Brian? Oh, there's a ton of stuff going on right now. Um, uh, big, big news. It comes out of the Outer Limits magazine, and get, you got to get the latest issue, issue 8 of the Outer Limits magazine. Um, it's in production right now. It's going to be coming out shortly, but they have a fascinating new look at a video that uh, it's possibly the newest, latest video Roswell Witness have claimed to have seen bodies at the crash. you got to see this. And I know we've all been beaten to death with Roswell, but this is brand new. It's never been uh, uh, shown before, and it will be shown at the Outer Limits Magazine conference September 9th uh, called 70 Years of Modern UFO Error in Hull, England. And you definitely got to uh, check that out. So we thank Chris Evers for reminding us and letting us know that, that it's going to be in issue number eight coming out shortly so you got to go check yeah. that out yeah for the folks that don't know about this magazine this is not your typical magazine this is a very professionally done a quality piece of work right here i mean this is something that would you would use as resource material and i think that it's oh, yeah. a must for any kind of library so if, if folks i'm telling you do yourself a favor and go out there and pick up this magazine <laughs> I, i'm actually getting a copy of it um I, I i'm going to be going to it as soon as it comes out and published and we will be putting it on our uh our uh, Facebook page, inside our group, Inside the Goblin Universe group, and this you, you can ask us questions there about past guests, future guests. Uh, another thing we got to talk about, too, relating to UFOs, Ron, we're going to have next week Dr. Scott on. Irene Scott, and she's uh, doing something with the 70 years of cover-up, pretty much, for the UFOs. So if you have questions for Dr. Scott and you want to ask her something, give us a email at questions at insidethegoblinuniverse.com. And we'll make sure to get those questions to her for the interview. Yeah. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the field of uh, ufology. So I'm excited that we have yes. this show on right now because there's a lot of good insights and a lot of different perspectives going on. Even whenever we're looking at things like the Roswell case, like you had said, we thought that this thing was beaten to death. And now there's <laughs> new theories and new perspective and maybe even new evidence coming to light. Yes. And I think this is the new evidence. I think this is a, it's going to uh, blow the doors off of Roswell now. This is something that's. It's not the same old talk or about new pieces. This may be a video, from what I understand, of those bodies. But I'm not positive. I will. I don't want to give anything else away because I don't know exactly what we can say. But it's going to be worth it. Definitely uh, check out the conference. Go over there. If you're in the U.K., go to this conference September 9th in Hull. And you're not going to be disappointed. I think it's like 10 pounds you know, to get in. It's nothing. And you're no, no. inundated with a, a bunch of guests. And we'll put some more information at the end of the show for those that want to listen and who's going to be there. But, I mean, the video alone and the new the film, worth everything about it, you know? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought that up. If you, Because our show originates out of the United Kingdom, you know, if you folks are listening to this show and you have any interest at all, uh, you know, for, for 10 pounds, guys, you know, that's skipping basically uh, a McDonald's value mill. Go over there and see some quality people uh, putting on a very, very good show. Uh, there will probably be more questions that arise than answers, but that's what these conferences are all about. So I urge you to get on over there and check out this conference. Yes. 
And last we chatted, you were going on an investigation to uh, something Bigfoot related. How did that go? Actually, actually to, to pull everything together, speaking of conferences, yes. this this arose out of somebody coming up to my stand at the uh, Pennsylvania uh, Bigfoot camping weekend. Uh, Timothy, were you there by chance? I, we have Timothy waiting in the wings right now, but yes. let me ask him a real question before I bring him on. Timothy, were you at the uh, Bigfoot camping by chance? No, I didn't make it out to that one. You didn't make it out there, okay, because it rained the entire time. So I was not there on uh, Friday, uh, but I was there on Saturday and Sunday, and it was just torrential downpours. Uh, but what is a good thing about going to these uh, these festivals, these, these conferences, is that people will still come up and talk to you. And uh, somebody in my neck of the woods, I live around the Chestnut Ridge area of uh, western Pennsylvania, somebody thought that they had, you know, discovered and come upon these uh, uh, Bigfoot tracks. Uh, uh, and I actually had to leave early uh, on one of our shows to meet with these folks. Uh, you did a great show on drones, Brian, which which I really yes. applaud you for doing that. Um, but, but, but I was out on the woods doing my little my little thing and the interesting thing and i'm glad that timothy's on here because this is going to lead us right into his new book uh bigfoot in pennsylvania uh bigfoot is such a big character no pun intended in in in, in the paranormal world of pennsylvania that sometimes people get bigfoot fever and they think that everywhere they look or every kind of print that shows up in the sand and that we're talking about a bigfoot and that's indeed what happened in this particular case um Pennsylvania is also home to a good population of black bear yes. and black bears footprints have a very interesting look to them that they look uh, remarkably like a human track, especially if there's no claws uh, uh, impressed in the uh, in the particular uh, substrate in which the, the creature steps into. So that's what happened in this particular case. Uh, it was uh, on the Chestnut Ridge uh, outside of a place called Ligonier. So any of our listeners would know uh, where this is at if they are in uh, western Pennsylvania. But it's also home to a lot of black bears, and that is indeed what left these tracks. Uh, sometimes bears, they, they, the, the black bear walks rather pigeon-toed, and sometimes uh, their back foot will fall into their the front foot of their track. So you have this very elongated uh, type of track to look at, and it does look remarkably like what you would call a Bigfoot track. Yeah. And a lot of researchers even point out, like, the mid-tarsal break on the Bigfoot. And that can be explained sometimes by this simple overlap of two different footprints causing what looks like an indentation or in a, a particular uh, a print, uh, but in this case, it was just uh, a black bear that had strolled through, uh, you know, aimlessly one evening and left uh, tracks in somebody's yard. But still, I mean, it still shows you that that this is not really in the fringe anymore. This is part of our vernacular. This is a part of the way we think. This is a part of our culture. Bigfoot is is you know, with us nowadays. And that's the reason I'm so glad that we have uh, the author, uh, Timothy Runner, on board because he just released a new book entitled Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, which is doing remarkably well on Amazon. So, so Timothy, we already said hello to you briefly here, but how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And I have two things that tie into just what you were talking about. <laughs> o over the summer, I was uh, in the woods and I came across what looked like very small humanoid footprints. Ooh. And I thought, oh boy, here we have an Albatwitch uh, track. Now, that, for those who don't know, that's sort of a small, uh, a smaller sort of hairy ape man that, that we have in, in Pennsylvania. We think it's, it's separate from a, a young uh, Bigfoot. But uh, I, I looked at the, 
I followed the tracks. They they went across the trail. There weren't many, but I was able to find a front paw print. And of course, the front the front is the giveaway with the black bear. Ah. So what what it was? It was a I saw the back track of a black bear. It looked like a small human print. But then I I was I followed the tracks and I found the front uh, the uh, front paw print. I went up oh, black bear. So uh, <laughs> that, I, that I, happens exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, that happens quite often. I mean, we've been through a, a Bigfoot country up in New York, and you get some prints, and then you look, and then you have to look for that that front print, and a lot of times you find it, but it's so close that the, the back print that you gotta get excited. But that's yeah, that's yeah. what makes a, us do what we do, you know. So that's, that's awesome. And, and people come out in droves. Like I said, uh, a, a few weeks ago, we had the uh, Pennsylvania Bigfoot camping experience uh, over in uh, Benner's Run outside of, uh, uh, I believe it was in Fayette County, but right along the Chestnut Ridge area there as well. And it was very well attended, even though it, it was torrential downpours the entire time. And then, um, of course, Timothy, you were at the Butler Paranormal Festival uh, on uh, April the 1st, and that was fairly well attended as well. Um, so people are coming out because there is an interest in this kind of stuff and now your last book that you wrote uh, you wrote beyond the seventh gate exploring toad road the seven gates of hell and other strangeness in york lancaster and adams counties now we had you on before in the goblin universe to discuss this and now with your new book bigfoot in pennsylvania why do you think in 2017 people still have a fascination with these kind of things that go bump in the night i think because they've always been there and they always will and, and it's not something that ever stopped. Um, my new book is about historical accounts that, uh, you know, from the 1830s up to the 1920s, but they're still happening. People are still seeing these things. And what's great about that, um, the, the beginnings or the start, or uh, you're going through old uh, newspaper articles and, and references, and it, it, it proves that the people today aren't crazy. We're not nuts. We're not crazy. These, these creatures or these, these beings have been around for uh, millennium. And um, it's just trying to get a grasp of what they are. Some people just don't want to believe, you know, that there's a, a wild man or, you know, hairy giants in the woods. But um, it's awesome. What you did was awesome. Great research. And, and I had, uh, I was at a Comic-Con of all places this weekend, just, you know, <laughs> signing and selling books. And I had three Bigfoot witnesses come up to me uh, in the course of, uh, of the weekend, which is just wild. You know, you don't even expect to... Uh, at the Paracons, you maybe expect that, but right. uh, here was just, you know, people out of nowhere, which is which is awesome, you know, and, and uh, you get everything from, uh, you know, some people huff and, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, and but uh, the, the people that have experienced something, you can tell. I, I had a fellow who was uh, literally shaking as as he told me his experience. It was uh, very moving. It, it's it's pretty scary, and we we got that. We were in uh, um, northern New York. And we had an experience, and we couldn't see the creature, but we heard it, and we felt it. We felt its presence. Um, it was really loud. It gave us three whoops. And I'll tell you what, you know, everybody could be an armchair quarterback re re regarding this, but until you experience it, you know, that's all you need. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I've been uh, and seen. Now, I'm not even sure. I, I have a new perspective for, for new to me. I'm not sure, you know, it's, I'm sure other people have thought of this, but I've experienced the, the rock clacking and what I thought was wooden ox and this, this gunky smell and uh, another odd uh, clicking sound uh, as well. And I was terrified. I mean, the, ha the hair on the back of my neck stood up. <laughs> yep. And uh, I it, it was fighter, total fighter uh, flight. I didn't know what to do. And I'm I'm sort of stealing myself, like, okay, this is what you're out here for. 
you know, like, like something's going to happen here. Nothing happened. I, it, you know, it, it sort of all went away. And I was speaking to uh, uh, another friend, a uh, paranormal writer, Joshua Cutchin, and he said, you know, all that stuff, you know, weird sounds, disembodied screams, stones being thrown or, thing, you know, things being thrown, knocks. It sounds an awful lot like poltergeist activity. And it, <laughs> it does. It really kind of shifted gears in my head to the way I think about uh, uh, when people experience things without seeing a creature. Oh yeah, I mean, one of the things that 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 uh, my theory on on this creature, and it it wasn't until I actually experienced it, is the um, is the infrasound of of the creature. I think when that hair stands on the back of your neck and you start hearing grunts or or cracks or or the the tree knocks, um, I think that they emit a, an infrasound, and that infrasound just gets to you right off the bat. Um, it's <laughs> It's, it's quite possible. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't prove it yet. I mean, we have to have a Bigfoot and, you know, like, can you please do that? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it's funny how, we, you know, be careful what you look for or wish for. <laughs> yeah. So historically, Timothy, let's get back onto the uh, the subject of your book because I really want to take a lot of time to cover this book. Um, we're talking about what you said about the 1820s, 1830s is where the book begins? 1838. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, how was Bigfoot perceived, or, or let's put it this way: what we call Bigfoot, what was it being, uh, what was it being called at that particular time in history? Right. See, the, the Bigfoot, uh, yeah, and you guys know this, I'm sure, but maybe, maybe not everyone listening does. It really uh, was a term that came up in the 1950s, and I don't think it was in popular use in popular culture till even maybe the 1970s. Um, so before, when they saw these things, they called them by different names. The most common thing, and this goes way back to medieval Europe, and Ron, you wrote a whole book on wild men, and, and that was the most common thing. They called them wild men, um, it, both in Pennsylvania and, and really throughout, uh, throughout the world. That is until, and you get wild man reports, basically, uh, up until about 1890 or so. And then a, a, a very funny thing happens right around 1890, it, they shift and the wild man reports, you, they're still there, but they start to fade. And what you get, at least in Pennsylvania, is tons and tons of reports of escaped gorillas. And what happened was that uh, the mountain gorilla was, I don't like to say discovered, I just don't know a better word for it. it, it uh, the people, <laughs> people in the West became familiar with the mountain gorilla. Let's put yeah, that you, yeah, Europeans saw them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and they started being, you know, taken, at least photographs of them were taken, and, and they uh, some creatures, some uh, mountain gorillas were brought to the U.S., they were in zoos and so forth, and now people had a name to call these things. See, before, they'd see something hairy and upright in the woods, and especially being confused about um, either uh, Darwinism or, or if it was pre-Darwin, so, uh, generally the thought was, Oh, if someone, if a man abandons society and and runs off to the woods, eventually he'll grow hair like an animal. That was sort of the, the you can the thought process at the time. And then when after Darwin, a lot of times it's like, well, that's that's what. Up, oh, we got a little technical glitches here. Darwin, okay. No, you were saying about that's Darwin. If a man runs off into the woods. Yeah, it's sort of a misinterpretation of Darwinism. They. Uh, they they assume uh, you know oh he he grew hair uh, you know because the he, he the gorillas now they see something upright 
and Harry in the woods. And they go, oh, it's a gorilla. I saw a gorilla. We right. must have gorillas, you know, and an escape gorilla. The problem being that these are the tallest uh, mountain gorilla I think ever measured was about 6'4", and these things are seven to eight foot tall. They're reporting the gorilla is a tropical animal. They're, they're reporting these things in you know the winter in Pennsylvania. Um, it just it doesn't match up with a gorilla. Plus, there were only a few gorillas in the United States at the time. They were actually quite famous. They were treated as celebrities. They were all named. They were reported on paper. There simply weren't enough gorillas to to uh, be escaping and having an army of gorillas escape and run across Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, to go around. There wasn't enough gorillas to go around. But it's interesting because Stan Gordon, who's also one of the investigators here uh, in Western Pennsylvania, and he's of you know the longevity he has put in his research, but he said that there was a popular uh, parking spot whenever he was a high, in high school where kids would actually go and you know park, you know like a lovers lane type of thing, uh, and uh, the kids would report seeing gorillas coming out of the woods at them, throwing stones to kind of drive them away. And this was in the 1950s. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's still kind of uh, carried over even into the 50s and probably into the 60s. Like you said, it wasn't until media kind of really attached itself to this that the idea of Bigfoot kind of spread. And I think that you're right. I don't think that uh, the, the word Bigfoot was really thrown around a, a, a bunch until the Patterson-Giblin film came out. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I was obsessed as a kid in the 70s, and I, I don't remember. Yeah, I remember doing school reports and stuff on Bigfoot, and it wasn't just a, a known thing. You had to introduce, like, what Bigfoot was. People weren't, That's right. <laughs> you know, terribly uh, familiar with the, the idea. That's right. Now, another interesting aspect to the whole Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, which really kind of opens up the idea of, you know, the Goblin universe, which is the reason why we have this show right here. Uh, reading your uh, your book, there's newspaper articles that call these things spooks as well. And like you had said, the idea of the, the, the knocking in the woods and the sounds kind of related to poltergeist. There was also hints early on about uh, newspapers making allusions to these creatures as some sort of, you know, uh, a ghostly-like figure as well. Yeah, that, and I believe I, it was in my first book I started coming across those reports, so I made that part of my search when, when I was compiling the, the uh, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania because they, they are, they're called spooks and uh, haunts sometimes, and, you know, they're variously referred to as ghosts. There's an article on a, a uh, and this is, there's a very famous, of course, modern Bigfoot in Pennsylvania that people see quite often, and there's an article in the book uh, from the early 1900s about a, a white Bigfoot that they call a ghost. If you want, I can uh, I can go ahead and read it. Oh, yes, please. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Looks like a specter, but noisy as a wild man. White-haired apparition scares some residents of Verona almost into fits. Who is the aged apparition with long white hair and beard who, with groans and moans and blood-curdling screams, raises the hair of residents of Verona in a fright? and with nimble feet almost gives them heart failure by going in swift pursuit. That is the question of the citizens are, uh, excuse me, that is the question some of the citizens are puzzling over, particularly Elmer Bouchner, who fled in dismay on Tuesday night when the white-haired terrifier chased him. Bouchner started home late. In Parker Street, he saw the strange phantasm. At least he thought it was such, until the awe-inspiring figure let out a horrible shriek, got down on all fours and clawed the sidewalk, and then launched itself at Bouchner. The latter's cries vied in volume with those of his pursuer for a while, until he reached a sheltering doorway where he cowered. The specter passed on, and Bouchner, peeping out trembling, beheld him disappear between two houses. 
Nobody in the neighborhood knew anything the next day of the strange vision for Bouchner investigated, but the residents of Parker Street have been kept awake at night by the weird, inarticulate cries of the white-haired old man. He's too noisy for a ghost, and citizens are laying plans to capture him. That's from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, October 27th, 1907. 1907? absolutely incredible, incredible. Now, to put this thing in perspective, you know, 1907, we have professional baseball being played in Pittsburgh. So, like, like you know, these aren't, this is not ancient history, but it's interesting to see that these are, these are accounts that are happening right outside a major industrial northeast city, that there's still something going on in the woods that can't be explained by normal, rational science. Yeah, and I to me the white Bigfoot thing was really interesting too, just because of all the all the white Bigfoot sightings we have out west there. Yeah, that's right. That's it, right. I, Ohio absolutely has a lot of uh, oh, yeah. white Bigfoot sightings as well. I'll tell you what, if you just did a, a quick search for white Bigfoot PA, and you, you'll get some. There's a, a video that's out, and a couple. You know, you'll see a, a plenty of, of, of footage, photography. Um, given my druthers, I'd rather not meet this one. There's something about, and honestly, it's, it, it really happens to be a pretty scary-looking creature. Um, the video, someone put uh, some photos up of what it, you know, what it looked like, and it's just, it's really unnerving. It, it, it looks even more menacing than, like, like seeing, a, like, a dark creature. At least you have the, the, the darkness to kind of blend in with this creature. This creature, you're going to see this big, white, hairy thing staring at you through a window or whatever, and I'll tell you what. Uh, I investigate this stuff. This would give me the heebie-jeebies big time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like every video, that one's controversial, but I happen to think it's a really good one, that, the one that shows its face. Yeah. Um, um, it, uh, it's a weird, yeah, I... you know, we, we, a lot of the videos that come out today, because of all the CGI, you know this, and I know, you know, you gotta, you gotta really be taken with a pound of salt because you don't know what's real or not, but sometimes there's certain things that they do or the movements that are just spot on from history and from research and um, it leads to credibility, but that's just, everybody take their own opinion of it. That's what I would say. Exactly. Yeah. That's what you have to do with all this stuff. Uh, You know, it's, it's, uh, there's too many question marks around it, but as, as the videos go, I think that's a, you know, if it's a fake, it's a good fake. Oh yeah. Right. Now, let me ask you another question here, Timothy, while we're on the same subject of, uh, you know, a rather menacing looking Bigfoot, uh, Tell us a little bit about any reports of attacks on humans by by these creatures. What did you find out uh, in the historical record as well, as far as newspaper uh, reports go? Well, there's quite a few in the book, and uh, I I know there's a an arm of um, Bigfoot researcher who who likes to just say they're gentle giants and they, <laughs> they, they never harm anyone, but there are quite a few attacks in the book. Um, there's a creature or a group of creatures in through 1920 through 1921, which it starts in Snyder County. And you can basically follow these reports across the state. It, it uh, starts in Snyder County and kind of makes its way across the state a little bit, drops down to uh, the Gettysburg area, and then actually uh, moves into Maryland, I believe. Um, and whether this is one creature or a group of creatures, like I said, you can sort of trace its movement from, from local paper to local paper and uh, and across the months and uh there's a it starts out with what they call a giant gorilla attack it's a uh, giant gorilla creates fear in snyder county this is from 1920 uh december 15th from the altoona tribune 
animal believed to have escaped from carnival breaks boy's arm during attack, had previously been wounded, and visits Bowling Farm quite often. The appearance of a man-ape or gorilla in the mountains of Snyder County has caused great excitement among the residents of that section where the animal was seen. The big ape was first seen three weeks ago by Samuel Bolig of Miser, a small town in Snyder County. The animal is supposed to be one that escaped some time ago from a carnival and which has since been living in the mountains of that section of the state. Samuel and Mar Margaret Bolig, the children of Charles Bolig, were gathering kindling wood one night in November with the light of a search lamp when a huge animal about seven feet tall and that stood up like a man was discovered by the children within the circle of light. It looked to them like a huge monkey and when discovered, dropped on all fours and ambled away, soon disappearing in the darkness. A week later, the same animal was discovered in a cornfield on the Bullock farm, which is at the foot of the mountain. Samuel procured a 32 caliber rifle and took a shot at the huge man creature, evidently wounding it as it fell at the shot, rolling over several times on the ground. The boy and his father trailed the wounded ape some distance but by the blood, but were unable to overtake it, and at length gave up pursuit. On Monday night of the present week, the strange creature made its third appearance at the Bullock farm. Charles Bullock was engaged in chopping wood by the light of a lantern when the ape approached near enough to be seen. The son ran to the house and procured the rifle, but before he could shoot the gorilla, it viciously attacked him, knocking him down and breaking his arm, and was finally driven away by the father. The lad lay on the ground in an unconscious condition. He was taken to the house and soon after recovered his senses, and it was found that he was not seriously injured. He suffered much from shock, but is expected to be fully recovered in a short time. A large number of men armed with rifles started out to hunt the animal. About 100 Lewistown hunters are scouring the narrows and surrounding country toward the Snyder County line in the hope of getting a shot at the huge creature and killing it. As its presence has caused the greatest consternation in the section, the gorilla being very dangerous on account of its great size, strength, and savage nature. Wow. Wow. That's, <laughs> that, that's some good writing right there. So, um, yeah. That's how it starts out, and again, this is a whole series of sightings across 1920, 1921. The, uh, within a few days of that, uh, it's, uh, at the Mount in the Mount Carmel item, the creature attacks a car. Now, I don't. They don't say what kind of car. I, I I'm envisioning some kind of old timey car without a roof, but I do not know. This news stories concerning the mysterious animal that looks like a gorilla and makes a noise like a horse, which has been seen in the lower end of Snyder County during the past month, are in circulation every hour of the day there. And the tale of an alleged attack upon an autoist south of Seals Grove is today's best tale. The gorilla, or whatever the animal terror may turn out to be, leaped upon an autoist traveling towards Seals Grove. So the story goes, and he would no doubt have been badly done up, but for his resistance with a small penknife, which was the only weapon at hand. When the fight was at its height, according to the story, another autoist came along and joined in the fray, the two automobile drivers succeeding in beating off the animal's attack. It, oh, know, man. This is it's really, really interesting because, you know, taking the year that it's taking place and knowing the fact that, that we weren't as uh, populated back then, so it's natural that, that humans are now, in, you know, infringing on this creature's territory. It's going to react the way it reacts. Um, but... You know, fast forwarding today, it doesn't do that as much. Um, they're all, except the the Ohio grassman is pretty aggressive as far as a creature is concerned. But do we uh, do we translate some of the aggressiveness with these cars and rocks and attacks? I know we we're talking about up to the nineteen twenties, but do you know of that stuff right now that's taking place? 
No, it, it's rare, and it, it may be. I mean, of course, the, the first article starts out with the kids shooting it. You know, uh, so so, and there are people who think that these creatures are intelligent enough to follow people home. You know, when they're when they injure them. Oh, and uh, yeah, they sort of have a culture of revenge in, in that sense. Uh, I've heard several modern witness stories where where creatures have you know people have shot at or shot them, and and uh, they've had uh, hex to pay. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, like several of them uh, would, would come by. Um, it didn't seem initially like the the, the creature was. Uh, I, I don't know. I wasn't back in the 20s, but um, a lot of these creatures want food, and if you're, they love corn, uh, especially old corn. They love, you know, if you're a farmer, it's like it's like going to the supermarket for them. So I mean, there's the reason for them coming back, but it's pretty intense. That you know, just think about this. 1920s, it's not as bright as it is. The roads aren't as lit. You're living a little, a lot, lot more secluded. Wow, uh, incredible. Yeah, it's it's interesting. These reports. You know, if you look at, at modern um, reports, and, and really what we have, the best stuff we have is witnesses, you know, and, and to what we get from witnesses, as much as descriptions, <clears throat> excuse me, as much as descriptions of the people as we get descriptions of behavior. So we start to look at certain things that come up again and again. And, for instance, window peeking. I, I'm sure you guys heard tons of stories of these things, oh, yeah. you know, come, come up to people's houses and peek in windows. You get that. I, I have stories of window peeking. You get uh, creatures attacking dogs. Of course, tons of stories of that where uh, they attack dogs. Creatures uh, raiding chicken houses. We get that today. I, in, in my other book, I have several uh, examples of that from the 1970s. Um, you know, so, so these these sort of repeated behaviors, you know, kind of are consistent throughout time. Now, how, because the child uh, shot this, or the, the young boy uh, shot this uh, creature, do you have any reports of anybody actually killing one of these things? Yes. No, um, <clears throat> not that I could find in, in Pennsylvania. There was a there's one article that sounded like they, they may have captured uh, one, which is really wild. I mean, they describe it as, you know, capturing this big thing covered in hair with claws. But uh, there's no, I could find no follow-up. I couldn't find, you know, what they did with it. I don't know if, if they killed it or if it, it escaped or, or what the uh, what the thing was. They said it was, you know, big, hairy, and had claws and and, uh, and was very strong. And then there was sort of no follow-up. So, yeah, you know, I don't know what happened with that one. And, uh, no, I didn't, didn't find any. People seemed to take a lot. There's a lot of people who took shots at it, and uh, no one killed them. And a, a lot of innocent animals were killed in, in gorilla hunts in the 1920s. Oh, I <laughs> can of, imagine, yeah. Yeah, a lot of uh, uh, people's livestock and, and pet dogs really got the worst of some of these gorilla hunts. <laughs> but I, I can just picture that, that the probably the reason why you're not getting many reports is whoever the reporter was when they left, this thing just totally decimated most of these people. I mean, you gotta you got to think, uh, chimpanzees, you know, like Bubbles the Chimp that Michael Jackson used to carry around could rip michael jackson's or man's arm off without even thinking about it so and that's only maybe four feet tall this is a six seven eight nine foot you know creature i mean the the power is immense and i i I don't see anybody that tackles this unless you kill this thing which i i really wish no one would um but uh yeah it's not a good idea to try to trap this thing and 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 take it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I don't think anybody's gonna gonna be killing one. Honestly, the I'm not like that show that everyone's up in arms about that killing Bigfoot show. Yeah, 
I, I don't. Uh, good luck, guys. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not terribly uh, worried about them. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's an amazing creature. It's it's just absolutely amazing. And, and you know, part of the, the, the legend and the mystique is the fact that it's so elusive for the most part. But what I loved in your book is, is the fact that you're bringing this out to the uh, that it's not just the Pacific Northwest that was, you know, everything was isolated there. This creature is everywhere, right? I mean, oh, whole... oh, yeah. I started out, I was going to do a book with these reports all over the United States. I just started with Pennsylvania because I live here. And I quickly found I'm going to have enough to do a book on Pennsylvania. I mean, very quickly into, into my research, I knew I was going to have enough. So given the, the popularity of this, I didn't want to spend the next 10 years of my life writing, you know, uh, wild man books. But it, it, it looks like uh, fate has uh, pointed me in that direction here. Well, I see so 50 moving... states, 50 states, 50 books. I don't think there'll be enough to do a book for every state. I'm going to have to do regions. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I might have to com combine the Virginias or combine, you know, some states in the Midwest or, or, and so forth. It just happened that we have, uh, I don't know if it's the perfect storm of of a big enough population in Pennsylvania where people were seeing them mixed with a lot of newspapers to report about them or what. But, I, you know, I, I moved on uh, to Washington State. I figured I'll, I'll go hit the biggies, you know, right. next. And honestly, again, maybe they just didn't, you know, it was quite early for, for people being out there in the 1800s. Maybe they just didn't have the, the population or the newspapers. But I'm having trouble finding anywhere near the quantity of articles. It, it, it seems like we, I mean, Pennsylvania, the, the, the eastern seaboard, that, that area from, from Virginia up and, and Appalachian Trail, we've got tons of these, these reports here. I mean, we don't even need to go anywhere near the west. Uh, you, we have Pennsylvania has a great res, you know great resources be, between the food resources as well as the wilderness the cover and then you have this whole entire cave system um, caverns throughout your state uh, and I, I used that as um, uh, I was writing something relating doing a research on on Bigfoot and another creature which I like to call, it's a werewolf it's a lichen uh, people call dogman. Uh, how they come and go in the, like without uh, being seen, but you know most of the time I think they're using the tunnels to tra you know to travel their you know transverse the states, and they they know them from hundreds and uh, thousands of years of, of families going no no just take that tunnel there take that there you don't need to go to the surface, so you have you you could probably do volumes on on just your state alone you could have went decade after decade. Yeah, and and it's uh, funny you mentioned the the lichen thing. That we have a wonderful werewolf tradition in Pennsylvania, and that's uh, another book I'm I'm planning on writing here. Awesome. Um, but uh, I I was uh, doing a dogman investigation recently. Uh, a woman uh, reported multiple sightings. She and her son, uh, and there is uh, it's an area surrounded. It's it's kind of populated i mean it's not a very remote area at all and i first went there and i was like nah, i don't know but then i started looking around and there's creek beds that are completely tree covered and if these things want to you know that's the way i would if i didn't want to be seen i'd just get down in the creek bed and uh and move and and they run right into tunnels and so forth so it's you, you could be right on that i, I tell uh, you yeah. i'm sorry to interrupt for one second ron but sure. we took the kids last year to lancaster you know to, to go go to amish country and as you're driving there, the woods that you have along the, you know, but against the roads, even at dusk, are so dark. 
that you could literally have these creatures standing right there. I mean, like literally at the, the, the end of where those trees are, and you would never know that it was there. So you got great coverage there. And, and as far as the lichens or dogmen, um, your state's actually it, in my opinion, from my research. Um, it's like home, home base. So, but just be careful of those things. They're, they're yeah. not Bigfoots. <laughs> yeah, my heart kind of dropped when this woman contacted She heard me on another podcast and contacted <laughs> me and said, you know, I, and I thought it was a Bigfoot report. I was like, oh, boy, this isn't far from me. Great. And I went there and she's dog man, my heart kind of dropped. Like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but, I'm not really, yeah. uh, this might be uh, a little bit of, above my pay grade. That's the thing is, <laughs> I'm extremely interested in the idea of the dog man, the whole mythos uh, surrounding it. But, you know, from what history tells us, this is not really a cool thing to mess with. So that's one of those things. Now, do you find that, and, and this is just of your opinion, it doesn't really have anything to do with your book. Uh, do you find that there are Bigfoot and Dogman reports that are kind of overlapping, mistaken identity? What do you take of all of this? Has Dogman always been with us and people just report it as, you know, a gorilla for lack of a better, you know, word to associate with something they see in the woods they can't explain? I think it went both ways and, and has gone both ways for a long time. For instance, uh, most of the people moved here, you know, the, uh, well, let's say a great percentage of the population for Pennsylvania was German or Swiss German. And these are cultures in Europe which have a you know, very strong werewolf tradition. And I think uh, what possibly happened is if you see something big and hairy that looks sort of man-like, but it's covered with hair, and you come from a place that, that's, you know, has a, a lot of werewolf folklore, I think you might report it as a, as a werewolf. Uh, you know, so that might account for some of these early reports. Likewise, I think nowadays, um, you know, for lack of a better word, I think Dogman's pretty hot right now as far as cryptids go. Uh, it's it's getting some press, and and uh, people see it as the you know the the new big scary oh, yeah. thing to go after. And I I think because of that, I think there are some. Well, I know for a fact, uh, uh, another woman. There was a, a report in my first book, which was reported as a Dogman report. Uh, by another researcher, and she contacted me and said, I, I never said it was a dog, man. I never said that, you know, <laughs> and she said, I, I think that was a Sasquatch, but it was reported as a dog, man, for whatever reason. So, yeah, I, I know for a fact that, that these reports are getting, you know, confused, I think, both ways. That's why I think it's really important that the, the hocked legs, and that's what I ask about, and not even so much the ears on the top of the head and the snout, because right. there have been Bigfoot reports with uh, with creatures that look more baboon-like, and and you you know it's it could have hair or something that you're mistaking for ears on the top of the head, but the, it's the hock legs that that um, is really uh, the giveaway I think, and that's what I what I look for in the Dogman reports, and indeed what the the, the lady I was talking about reported to me. Very cool. Now was that out in your neck of the woods? Was that eastern Pennsylvania? That was uh, right in south central here. South, oh, right, right, right. I, I, I keep on uh, thinking that you're over there on the uh, the border, uh, but you're not. You're you're more towards uh, in, uh, in inward uh, towards Gettysburg. Is that right? Yeah, I'm 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 the eastern part of South Central Pennsylvania. You know, I'm, I'm but I'm closer to Gettysburg than Philadelphia. So. Gotcha, gotcha. And that's the other thing about Pennsylvania, and that's the other thing that Brian had brought up as well too, is that we have a rather um, uh, 
changing uh, geography uh, and topography. Uh, we're mountainous on some areas. Some areas were completely flat. Uh, we have swamplands up towards, you know, the Erie. Uh, so it, there's so many mixed habitats in Pennsylvania that if you are a self-aware creature, you know, it, it uh, incredible. Yeah, it's uh, being self-aware, and you know that you know the landscapes. Uh, awesome. Yep. It's a, you, it's a perfect storm. Um, it is. <laughs> the other thing important to note is we've got Pittsburgh on one side, Philadelphia on the other, and a lot of woods in between. <laughs> That's fun. You know, there's yeah. not a lot in between there. In a way, Pennsylvania is a lot like, uh, you know, America. We don't have any desert, but we have a lot of uh, a lot of similar, you know, we got the mountains, we got the swamps, we got, you know, all these different, uh, uh, you know, sort of ecologies, but... Uh, and I know a lot of people think, oh, you know, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Well, they're on either side of the state. There's, a, right. there's a lot of nothing in between. Well, well, and look at the one report that you wrote about in Verona. I mean, that was right outside the city of Pittsburgh. That's a suburb of Pittsburgh. So, you know, we even have reports, you know, on the very edge of major cities. Yeah, I don't think – I don't think – I mean, these creatures are shy. But if for food or for whatever reason – they will come close to people if they if i i think if they feel like they can stay hidden and they can uh they can you know get get close and get what for whatever reason again it's probably food but they may have their their other reasons to to uh maybe they're is it maybe opportunistic you know type of situation where they're curious about yeah sure yeah but but i think they come very close to uh to populated centers when if the if they feel like they can stay hidden in your research um did you ever come any, uh, come across anything with the amish uh, or the mennonites in the area i don't know what publications if they do did any publication where they may have had encounters with this as well they um there's not a, a lot there's one in my first book which uh, talks about a and some people report it as a bigfoot but it had horns uh it's more like a goat man kind of sighting wow and that was in the 70s. And that took the, uh, over the course of three days, it was seen. Um, and I think it, it was like just within an area of five miles. It was seen on three different farms. Uh, and then there's a note in some of the articles about that just there being a very strong tradition amongst the uh, the Pennsylvania Dutch of, of this, this sort of hairy man. And I know uh, if you can get them to talk, some of the Amish will still talk today about the hairy man. But, uh, that you know, it's... Uh, they're, they're not. Uh, they don't talk a lot. Yeah, they're not forthcoming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess you got to go to the the Mennonite uh, side, which are a little bit more forthcoming. Yeah. Now, in your research, let me ask you one more question here uh, regarding your uh, your book and how uh, Bigfoot was perceived. Um, there's a. Uh, it, it's quite in vogue now to talk about the interdimensional Bigfoot or the paranormal Bigfoot. Foot. Uh, did you have any glimpses as you were writing the book that besides the spook references, that Bigfoot was something more than meets the eye, something more that was flesh and blood? Not so much. Uh, people tended to, like I said, they report him as, as a lot of times escaped lunatics or, or wild men before the 1890s. And after that, it's just, just pretty much gorillas. These are, you know, escape gorillas. They, uh, They'll wonder, you know, where did the gorilla go? Where's he living? Oh, he must be living in this mine or this cave, or <laughs> he returned to the mountains. So, so yeah, there wasn't really any any indication of of the sort of weirdness that goes along with this stuff. I do have an appendix of uh, just the just things that I, I uncovered while I was uh, 
researching the, the, the gorillas and wild men of mystery lights. And there's a, an interesting article in there about a will-o'-wisp uh, thing that, that panicked a, uh, a carriage and um, a woman died, was thrown from the carriage and got bound up in the wheels. And the, the boy that was riding with her said he saw something jump on the back of the horse, which I thought was really interesting because he didn't say someone, he said something. Um, but uh, there's, a, you know, this associated weirdness, but they t- didn't tend to report them in the same articles. You know, you'd, you'd find the Mystery Lights articles around the same time, around the same place, but they uh, they weren't always reported. And that continued into the 1970s. I have right. reports in York County of, of uh, th- there'll be Bigfoot reports. And then, you know, next column over in the same paper, a UFO report in the same area and wow. no, no connecting them at all. No, nobody saying, oh, isn't that weird? You know? Yeah, see, now that's very interesting because I don't think that it was until relatively recently, like within the, like the, the last 10 years uh, before people started to talk about a connection uh, between the two, you know, seriously debated the connection. And that's very interesting that you just pointed out that there were reports, but they didn't lump them together because they were seen to be so vastly different. Yeah, and and I I have to you know kind of backpedal and say when I talk about UFOs and Bigfoot in the same place, I don't think Bigfoot's riding UFOs. Right. You, you know, <laughs> I just think for whatever reason there's they tend to be seen around the same place at the same time. That, right. That's, and you, yeah. And you also talked in your previous book too that there's sometimes there's certain areas that are just associated with high strangeness. That there's a lot of weird things that happen in particular areas that you know cannot be explained. And I think that that's one of the things that we're dealing with when we talk about Bigfoot as well, because you know there's places around where I live and places around where you live, places around the world, not only in America but around the world, where there are sightings of hairy wild men as well as other. Uh, anomalous things such as you know ghost lights or UFOs or or you know woods that are deemed to be haunted by ghosts yet also have Bigfoot activity in them. I think that that is a world tradition of of very strange things happening in specific places. Oh yeah, I I, I definitely agree. Where you get one, you get the other. It, it's, it is. I, I can't tell you why, but I can tell you <laughs> have, that have it'll you... happen. On your research, have you ever contacted some of the indigenous peoples um, that that and and talked to them or discussed uh, these these creatures with them as well to kind of get uh, their perspective of how long that's been taking place and what these areas are of high strangeness and you know their sightings? We don't have a, a strong tradition in uh, in eastern Pennsylvania of uh, you know sort of a strong unbroken Native American tradition. Right. Um, so it's it's not super easy to do that i would love to uh you have a combination of of problems you know with getting anyone to talk no matter what culture they come from um you, you know a lot of people just don't want to talk about it. even if they've seen something if they know something they, they this is not something that a lot of people want to talk about and combine that with just a really fractured sort of uh you know the native american population was was really fractured and uh uh so yeah, it's tough to kind of keep that the, those traditions alive. We we uh, we have a, had an indigenous person on uh, Andre Verge, who uh, uh, has experience from northern uh, uh, northern New Jersey. He moved to PA, and uh, he still has uh, Bigfoots that are um, on his property. Uh, he would like them off his property. That's not <laughs> bothering him, but they've been bothering him since he was uh, you know a, a young lad, and. Um, you know, sometimes there's a connection there. Um, he's Native American, so I think, Ron, I think you brought up, like, a maybe your spirit animal 
at one point. But um, yeah, it, it's well, really I, I should say I should say they probably exist, but I just haven't I, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to you know what I mean I, yeah. I'm not saying that that the tradition isn't there. I know the tradition's there. The Susquehannock Indians had you know the albatross creatures on their shield. Um, we have a lot of information passed down from um, the Delaware and and the the um, some of the other tribes in, in the region. But uh, I just haven't had, you know, the, the chance or the opportunity to, to talk to people. I've, you know, I've tried to, to breach the gap. But again, like, it's it, it's hard to get people to talk. Oh, yeah. Even when you're yeah. investigating. Now, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and you, you spoke about the uh, the Albert Witch. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, information on the Albert Witch Festival? It's a little ways off. Hopefully we'll get you on the show before October. But, you know, I, I think that that's something that people in the United States need to really uh, uh, pay attention to. Uh, the Albert Witch is one of these interesting little legends about a, a, a smaller size, a more diminutive version of the Bigfoot uh, over in eastern Pennsylvania. But there is a festival dedicated to the research of this Albert Witch in and of itself, isn't there, Mr. Runner? Yeah, we've we've been doing the festival. I say we. I was a just a participant up until recently. Now I'm I'm part of the uh, organizing board. I'm very happy and proud to be part of it. Um, but it's been going on for I think this is maybe the fifth year. Um, I'm losing track of time. Again, I, I wasn't on the board until this year. But uh, I've I've been at the festival every year. It's fantastic. It's a it's a good day. It's it's a it's a family friendly festival. We do there is paranormal things. There's paranormal speakers. Um, there's, you know, there's live music, there's face painting for the kids. And, and there, if you're into the paranormal, there's usually, you know, stands with the different paranormal groups and, and authors and stuff represented as well. Um, you know, food on the streets, we'll close the street down. And, uh, this year, I think we're having a movie afterwards that we're playing, uh, Harry and the Hendersons in the park. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it's a good combination of, of, uh, if you're into the paranormal, there's plenty there for that. If, if, uh, you just want to bring the family out it's you know there's a lot to do for the family so it's a, it's a great day it's in columbia pennsylvania which is uh sort of the, known as the home of the alba twitch there's a place called chickie's rock which is just north of there between, between columbia and marietta where they say the alba twitch makes its home in fact these creatures are seen really throughout the state and and just throughout the country but they have different names everywhere oh. our name uh alba twitch comes from the german alb is german for elf and uh, there's a German verb, entwinchen, which is to escape. So it's kind of this compound word, meaning like the escaping elf. That's my theory on it. Uh, other people say it's a some kind of uh, uh, anglicized version of Pennsylvania Dutch for apple snitch or an apple stealer. But oh. but uh, they are known to eat apples. But I think I don't think so. I think uh, you know, with Alba being elf, it just seems to to uh, make make uh, sense. They're supposed to be three to four foot tall, very thin, stick-like, almost uh, disturbingly thin, hair covered. Little ape men, and uh, they're they're known to be aggressive if cornered, but very elusive. Uh, to give an example of how rare they are, in my first book I have like 50 some, 60 I think Bigfoot reports from uh, Lancaster, York, and Adams County, and like five Albatwitch reports. So you know, as as elusive. That's pretty elusive. Uh, but they also have some rather uh, interesting characteristics as well, don't they? I mean, they seem to be able to uh, disappear and reappear and do a lot of really weird things as well, don't they, Timothy? Yeah, well, it's uh, Rick Fisher, who everyone may know. He's a paranormal researcher. He, his uh, sighting, he, he saw one disappear, just kind of blink out of uh, of sight. And uh, 
other people have have said the same. They they they're supposed to be they're supposed to whistle. And uh, I came across some some other local folklore recently, which I thought was really neat. And they said that they have something called a welcome whistle. That if you learn the it's a complex uh, series of whistles, and if you learn these this whistle, which supposedly some local hunters know, that you can call the creatures out because that's their their welcome whistle that the the creatures would use to to call each other. So I'm looking for any local hunter that can teach me the welcome whistle. I'm ready to learn. <laughs> It would be great to have, right? Uh, I mean, like, what a great way to, to, to be an ambassador for the human race with these creatures saying, listen, I'm not here to hurt you, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm different from everybody else, you know? And Yeah. But, you know, like any language, there's probably nuances involved, and I would be afraid of getting it wrong and then being mercilessly attacked by a group of them. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, yeah. One yeah. slight variation, you know, you hit a, hit a B flat instead of a, you know. That's right. That's right. Would, would not oh, be no. something. That, uh, that would be a good addition to your next book there, Timothy. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, yeah. Now, what else? Where else are you going to be at uh, this year? What other kind of, uh, uh, of conferences and festivals will you be attending, Timothy? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to want out to go run out there today and buy your book. But really, one of the best ways to buy these books is by seeing the author in person, and then you can autograph it and whatever. So, so give us a little bit of rundown about where we can find you at in 2017. All right. Uh, I'm going to have to open my calendar here. Let's see. Um <laughs> I know I'm going to be at Gettysburg Paracon in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and that is June 23rd and 24th. It's a Friday and Saturday. I, most of these cons are Saturday and Sunday, but for whatever reason, this is a Friday and Sunday, or Friday and Saturday, rather. Uh, that's June 23rd and 24th. And then I'm open until uh, September. I'm either going to do Mothman Fest or there's a there's a, a festival in uh Outside of Allentown, I think it's Hellertown Paranormal Fest. I haven't decided which one I'm going to do. And then it's Albatwitch in October. Ah. Excellent. And I and I will be there with you. And, and I am excited to see it because I, I am truly uh, interested in this little phenomenon that, that it seems that our state, uh, you know, has this tradition and it's all our own, you know, something to call our own. So I'm looking forward to, to, to paying a, a visit over there and seeing you. Oh, it's a fun day, and uh, it it should be a good time. Um, Columbia is a great little town. Besides the Albatwitch, there's just a great history there. It's got a really strong uh, history with the Underground Railroad, a lot of Civil War history there, and it's just a great little town. I I love the area, even taking the Albatwitch out of the equation. (laughs) No, it sounds like a great time over there. I mean, you know, it's really funny. Maybe you guys should change your your license plates from you have a – friend in Pennsylvania too. You have some paranormal in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try to work on it. We'll have to probably go to the, the house and the Senate, but we'll see what happens. All right, Timothy, with the, with, with the few minutes that we have left, uh, uh, your, your newest book, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, A History of Wild Men, Gorillas, and Other Hairy Monsters in the Keystone State, and your other book from about a year ago, right, uh, Beyond the Seventh Gate, Exploring Toad Road, The Seven Gates of Hell, and Other Strangers in York, Lancaster, and Adams Counties. Where can we find these books for the people that are overseas or at the other end of the country, and they cannot see you at any of the conferences? Where can they buy your books, Timothy? 
Amazon is the easiest place to find them, and I people are very kind, and they want to know that if I get paid from Amazon, and Amazon is actually very fair with their with their rates um, that they pay the, the independent authors. So, don't feel bad about Amazon. I know people have Prime, and a lot of people have Prime rather, and uh, it's free shipping and so forth. So, I encourage people if that's the way you want to order them, order them that way. Otherwise, strangefamiliars.com is my website, and uh, you can. Find me there, you know, email links, and you can get them direct from me. I'll sign them and do little Bigfoot cartoons. I'm also an, an illustrator. So uh, w- whatever you want, I can personalize them, sign them, at, like I said, add a cartoon or anything. Well, so direct. that'd be great. Now, yeah, now, now listen to this, folks. Now, now, you not only get a book that has a wealth of information and a welcome addition to any paranormal library and an autograph by Timothy Runner himself, the author of these books, but also a one-of-a-kind illustration to have within your book what more can you ask for and we're talking for a book that's like 12 or 15 dollars right yeah 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 so we're not talking about a lot of money here folks rush out there timothy runner bigfoot in pennsylvania history of wild men gorillas and other hairy monsters of the keystone state and also one of my favorite books from it was actually on a lot of top 10 list uh, of paranormal books for last year uh beyond the seventh gate exploring toad road the seven gates of hell and other strangers in new york lancaster and adams counties uh we had uh we had timothy on uh, to discuss this book uh several months ago uh on inside the goblin universe and it, it was it was fascinating uh and then of course the bigfoot in pennsylvania which i have uh, just finished reading another fascinating study about the weird and strange within the keystone state but the good thing about your books my friend is that you can apply this to really anywhere this is just good source material good research material and i think that like i said it's i think it's a must for anybody that's interested in the the strange and the bizarre out there oh thank you very much i, I take that as a big compliment thank you yes i'm yes. definitely going to go to your website to, and pick up a copy for myself uh big big foot guy here um, and my own encounters with them, and hopefully I'll be able to get out to those festivals with you. But I do appreciate you coming on Inside the Goblin Universe and going through that uh, rabbit hole with us. Um, it's 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 a vast world we live in, huh? Oh yeah, and, and anytime I'm 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 happy to come on. I love it, guys. Thanks. Well, we'll definitely have you on before the Albert Witch uh, Festival because I think that we really want to get the word out for that because it's such an interesting thing. But, uh, yeah, uh, Timothy Runner, folks, that's who we had on here today, Inside the Goblin Universe on uh, the Paranormal UK Radio Network. Thank you very much, my friend, and we will talk to you very soon. But this is Ron Murphy. Brian Bowden. And we're saying goodbye for today, and we'll see everybody again next week. Join the Outer Limits magazine at the Freedom Centre, Preston Road Hull, on Saturday the 9th of September 2017, when we shall present a conference titled 70 Years of the Modern UFO Era, featuring the very best in British paranormal investigators, researchers and authors. From Hull, Mike Covell will look back at over 70 years of ufology, highlighting some cases going all the way back to 1801. Bridlington's Paul Sinclair with his lecture on the still-developing Wilsthorpe Blue Saucer incident. Following our lunch break, Russ Callahan will present a video reappraisal of the last 70 years of ufology. Associate Outer Limits magazine editor Malcolm Robinson presents UFO hotspots from around the world in this new for 2017 presentation. Our headline speaker is Philip Mantle, the former director of investigations for Bufora and a former UK representative of MUFON, presenting a review of his almost 40 years of investigations. 
don't miss the never-before-seen film of a possible Roswell UFO incident witness featuring a former US deputy sheriff who claims he witnessed bodies at at the site. Tickets are only £10 each and available from the Outer Limits magazine website. You can find the link to this on our Outer Limits magazine Facebook page. Or simply email theouterlimitsmag at gmail.com to receive the link. All this for only £10 each? What are you waiting for? Don't miss out. Tell your friends too. Come and be informed.